Turn with me in your Bibles to the last chapter of the Gospel of John. John 21. John chapter 21. We're still in this series on friends, and we will be through uh, next Sunday morning, and then we're going to go a different direction. But we'll remain friends at least for another week. It's a good thing. John chapter 21 is believed by most scholars to have been a chapter added later to the Gospel of John. Uh, makes sense if you look at it. The end of chapter 20 looks like the end. And then there's another one. Uh, of course, it could have been that John was a Baptist preacher who said an in conclusion and then went on for another 15 minutes. That could have been the case. But most scholars believe that uh, either John or perhaps one of John's disciples or students added the final chapters. That chapter that we want to look at, I'm glad whoever it was added it, added it, because it says something about our Lord and his relationship to Peter that really, really is comforting. John chapter 21, beginning with verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Verily, I, tr very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself, went where you wanted. But when you are old... You will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Most of the time when you hear this passage of Scripture taught, or preached in a teaching kind of way, you will hear the preacher or teacher focus in on the verb tenses of the word love. In English, they're the same. Love is love is love. But in Greek, they're different. There is a word play here between the Greek word agape, which is God's self-sacrificing love, and another Greek word, phileo, which means brotherly love. Sometimes people translate it as being fond of or liking. The reason it's brought up is because Jesus asked three times, do you love me? The first time he says, do you agape me, Peter? 
And Peter says, yes, Lord, I phileo you. And Jesus said, do you agape me, Peter? And Peter said, Lord, you know that I phileo you. And the third time Jesus said, Peter, do you phileo me? And Peter was hurt that he asked him a third time. He said, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Now, it may be that these two words are used interchangeably in this text. When you read it back in English, it makes more sense just to use the word love all the way through. But that's usually what is focused upon when someone teaches in depth or a word study of John chapter 21, beginning with verse 15. I want us to focus in on what the Lord does for Peter in the asking of this question. What he's actually doing. I believe that Jesus is carrying, leading, helping Peter through the process of forgiveness. Maybe forgiveness is something that ought to come naturally to people, but I don't find that it's so. Some people say it should be an innate skill that shouldn't have to be taught. I haven't found it that way in my own life. And there is uh, some indication that even folks a lot smarter than me feel the same way. There is the, you may have heard this, the John Marks Templeton Foundation. It's a Christian foundation. They, they uh, contribute millions of money, millions of dollars of money to uh, projects that connect uh, scientific methods to religious issues. They have recently granted a $10 million grant earmarked for forgiveness research to do studies, scientific studies, on the act of forgiveness. Obviously, there's a lot more to forgiveness than just forgiveness. I believe it's a process. I might say to you, or you might say to me after I've offended you, you might say, I forgive you. And if it's some little something, you'll probably be able to forgive me pretty quick. But if it's something really, really, really offensive, and if it is something that is so offensive that it strikes deep in your reservoir of love for me and fractures that trust, you may say, okay, Jimmy, I forgive you. There's the, the statement of I forgive you, but then we have to follow that statement with the process of forgiving. And that doesn't always occur overnight. In fact, the deeper the offense, the longer the process of forgiveness. In this passage of Scripture, Jesus takes Peter through a three-part process of forgiveness. And I'd like to take us through that three-part process. The first part of the process is simply 
the forgiveness of the offense, the forgiveness of the sin. Now, you remember what the offense was. Peter was the man with the foot-shaped mouth. He was the one who always spoke up. He was the one who always had his hand up first. And he told Jesus one day, he said, Lord, I'll go all the way to death for you. I will stand up for you. And you remember what Jesus said to him. He said, Peter, before the rooster crows this night, you will deny three times that you even know me. And of course, that happened. And after denying Christ the third time and hearing the rooster crow, the Bible tells us, the Gospels tell us that Peter wept bitterly. He knew what he had done. Guilt immediately struck the very nook and crannies of his heart. And so I know this was on his mind that day. The disciples were coming in on their boat. Somebody on the boat looked up and said, There's somebody on the shore. Well, who is it? Well, I can't tell. We're getting closer. Somebody says, ooh, it's the Lord. I can only imagine what Peter's thought was at that point. Oh, you ever offended somebody? I mean, really offended them? And then you see them? Did you want to see them? The Bible said that Peter jumped in the lake. They finally got out to the shore, and Jesus had cooked some fish for breakfast for them. It was early in the morning, and they had, begun to, they had finished eating and begun to clean that up. And Peter was walking over to the side, and maybe he didn't want Jesus to come, but Jesus was following him. And Jesus initiated the conversation. He had forgiven him for the offense, but that wasn't the end of the process. Because forgiveness is a process. It goes beyond just the forgiving of a debt or the forgiving of an offense or a sin. It goes on to the second step, and the second step is reconciliation. Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? It was a a question of compassion. Peter was right. He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. He's right. The Lord did know. But the Lord was asking the question not because he needed an answer or not because he didn't know the answer, but because he was trying through that question to convey to Peter, not only have I forgiven you, but I want you to know, I I want a reconciliation of the relationship that we've had, that you and I have had over the past three years. It's one thing to forgive a sin, it's another thing to forgive the sin and, re- and reconcile the relationship. A lot of people will forgive the sin as long as they don't have to reconcile the relationship. And in the Bible, true forgiveness doesn't just forgive the sin without reconciling the relationship. Have you ever, have you ever been at odds with somebody? And they come up and either you ask forgiveness or they ask forgiveness and, 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 and in, the, in your mind you're thinking, yeah, I want, I want to forgive this person or, or they're going to forgive me. And you do it, but also in your mind you're saying, I'm going to forgive them, but I, I don't want to be around them anymore. This is not what the Lord was doing. He wasn't interested in just the first step of forgiving the offense. He wanted to move forward. Do you love me, Peter? 
Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? He said it three times. And, and the writer here tells us that this was the third time that Jesus had appeared to them after he had risen from the dead. Three and three and three. And you see three and there's three days. And after three days, it's a very significant, significant number. But here it talks about relationship. Even when you think about the Godhead, the Trinity, three you think about the Trinity, one God who reveals himself in three persons. God lives in community with himself. I don't understand that statement, but I believe it. There it is. And so the very, trini- the very idea of Trinity involves a relationship. And so here, on the third time that Jesus saw them, three times he says, Peter, do you love me? He wants to reconcile the relationship. I haven't fully forgiven someone unless I've reconciled with them. Now just let that statement sink in. I haven't fully forgiven someone until I've reconciled with them. And then there's a third step in this process. Not only did Jesus forgive his sin and move to reconcile the relationship, but he went even a step further and he restored Peter to service. So there's forgiveness, there's reconciliation, and there's restoration. He restores him to service. He knew he was going to. Sometime back, whenever he told Peter, you're going to deny me tonight before the rooster crows, Peter tries to say he's not going to, and Jesus said, but I want you to know that although Satan has, has asked permission to have you, I have prayed for you, and, and when you have been converted, that's not talking about salvation, he's talking about when you have recovered, I want you to strengthen the brethren. And, and in another place, Jesus told him, he says, he says uh, uh, Simon, from now on I'm going to call you uh, Petros, Peter, which means a rock. And he says, upon this rock... I will build my church. It has a twofold meaning. Jesus is the rock upon which the church is built. But it's also true that Peter was the rock who got it going. All you have to do is look at Acts chapter 2 and know that on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell, it was Peter who was notable among the apostles for standing up and saying, preaching that Jesus was resurrected. And so in this, he's saying, Jesus initiates the conversation. That's forgiveness right there. In the initiation of the conversation, he's forgiving him. Then, do you love me? He's reconciling the relationship. And then after Peter's answer, Jesus says, feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. What's that? That's service. You see that? That's service. This, we're talking about a full-blown process of forgiveness. It's not just, okay, I forgive you, but I don't want to see you anymore. And, as good as it is, it's also not just, I forgive you, and I I would like to play rook with you again. I would love to go out and eat with you again. I would like to to rekindle our relationship again. As good as that is, it went beyond that to, I forgive you the offense, I want to reconcile my relationship with you, and I want to put you to work. I want to work with you. I want to serve alongside you. It's forgiveness and it's reconciliation and it's restoration. I tell you a bunch of stories this morning, all true stories about uh, interaction that my family had with people in the different churches where my dad pastored. I wish I'd had more time to bore you with more stories. 
But I told you one that some of you found really hard to believe. About the deacon who was also the song leader of the church, whose wife injected poison into the fruit, attempting to kill her husband. And I told you that on the day she was sentenced to the mental hospital in Milledgeville, she called and asked my mama to take her. My mama took her to the to the hospital in Milledgeville. My mother told me this week as I was talking with her about it. We were in the hospital and we were reminiscing. She said, one of the hardest things I ever did in my life was leave that woman in Milledgeville. Even after all she'd done. Then after years being in that mental hospital, she came out. And here's the part. I mean, as if the, uh, the first part of the story was, was not hard to believe. This is the part that some of you were in the pew saying, Bleh. when I said this, she, when she got out, the man took her back. I don't tell that story much, but when I do, I'm very sensitive to looking at the congregation and seeing people's reaction. I saw some of you, I saw some wives who looked at their husbands and said, don't you ever do that. You think you're coming back home, you can forget that. I saw you, and I could read your lips. A lot of people think, there's no way I would bring, I would take her back. I don't know, I don't know that, that I, I know Amanda wouldn't take me back if I did that. In fact, I'd be dead. I'd be about six feet in the ground, I'd be dead. I don't know how you would take somebody back like that. And, and there were some people in the congregation who had this look like, that man was crazy taking that woman back. She had injected poison into his fruit and into his apple cobbler. She was trying to kill a man. He was crazy for taking her back. And he was. But as I got to thinking about that and looking through this process of forgiveness that I see Jesus taking Peter through, and as crazy as it is that he took her back, that's exactly what he went through. He had forgiven her offense. That man, that deacon, had forgiven her offense. He had reconciled his relationship. And he restored service. He, he brought her back to his side and they served together, even in the church together later on. I know it's crazy. I'm not pretending it's not, and I'm not going to stand up here and tell you, oh, I took her back. It would have been hard. Near, bit, near about impossible. But he did because this humble man that I remember was willing to go through the process. He really believed the biblical command to forgive. Every Sunday for the past nine years, the members of the Landisville, Pennsylvania Mennonite Church have prayed for a son of their congregation. Every month they send him a small sum of money, and every month some of them visit him. This is a true story. Prayer, money, and visits. Fairly typical examples of congregational caregiving, one might suppose. What is not so typical about this case is that nine years ago, after a meal with relatives on a Sunday afternoon, this young man, 14-year-old Keith Weaver, killed his parents and his sister. 
the horror, the crime, the loss of life, rocked their family, as you might imagine, rocked their church, and rocked that community to the core. I read an article in which it says this, in the middle of their grief and disillusionment, however, the members of that church got busy. They helped clean the house where the murders occurred. They established a legal support committee to care for Keith, the 14-year-old. So that the surviving brother and sister wouldn't have to do it, they founded a a they, they, they founded a, a a love offering fund called the seventy times seven fund. You remember what the Lord told us to do seventy times seven? What was it? Oh, well, what about that? To collect money for his expenses. Then they studied. They studied grief, they studied forgiveness, they studied victimization in Sunday school and in sermons. They called on people who were experts in the area of chaplaincy and counselors. And one year after the tragedy, they held a memorial service to lament the loss of their loved ones and to recommit themselves to the journey of forgiveness. Do you hear that? The journey of forgiveness. Forgiveness is a journey. It is a process. Sam Thomas is the pastor. I don't know him. Pastor of that Mennonite church. They asked him about it. And he said this. He says, forgiveness is an act of God's grace, he said. And then here's what I really like. He says, you don't forgive and forget. He says, you forgive again and again and again and again. He's so right. Forgiveness is a process that starts with the wiping away of an offense, the reconciliation of a relationship, and the restoring of a partner in service. That is full-blown forgiveness, and that is what Jesus gave Simon Peter. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to you for your forgiveness. It is beyond our comprehension. We can never begin to fathom what it means to be forgiven in the way that you have forgiven us. You forgave us on the cross. And Lord, watching this last episode of John's Gospel, how you gently initiated this conversation with Peter and you showed forgiveness to him and you told him uh, that you wanted the relationship reconciled, and you restored him to service. This, this man who felt like service was a past tense word for him. Lord, help us to forgive. Give us discernment so that we can ask for forgiveness for the things we've done to others. But also help us to know that the deeper the sin the more the idea of forgiveness is a process. It's a journey. But Lord, it's a journey that's worth the travel. In Jesus' name, amen.